0: you so much for joining us for another edition of the Leadership Works podcast. This is Karen Conley with my husband, Chris Conley, and we are back for part two of our interview with Dr. Larry Lloyd. Dr. Lloyd, thank you so much for coming back. Good to be here. We could do like 12 parts to this particular podcast. Your journey, your faithfulness, and what you have done in the city of Memphis really has reached far beyond the city. And as we were wrapping up, I was encouraging people you know, to reach out if they wanted to learn more about you. You went on to explain that your foundation and the work that you began in Memphis really has reached across the country and now across the world. So we wanna pick back up and really learn from you as you have had an incredible impact on urban ministry and then your Memphis Leadership Foundation that you began in 1987 really has become a national model of how to get ministry done in the inner city.
1: Given what you said about the Memphis Leadership Foundation, give us a highlight of how some of that has gone far beyond Memphis into other communities. And as people listen to this podcast today, they can begin to see what might be available in their community or how they can get involved.
2: Sure. Pittsburgh Leadership Foundation was started back in 1978, and they were sort of the godfather. Their vision was one day Pittsburgh would be as famous for God as it is for steel. So it's loving the whole city. So Pittsburgh started then Phoenix and us in Chicago, and then it's spread now Nairobi, Pretoria, Bloemfontein, South Africa. Cairo, Egypt, Guatemala City, it's Dominican Republic, Pittsburgh, Philadelphia, Atlanta, Seattle, Portland, Denver, really a lot of major cities. But we all have three things in common. We're very contextual. Every city's different. We all love our city. So our vision comes from Zechariah chapter 8. Uh, Zechariah's vision for the city of Jerusalem is that one day children would play in the streets. The old folks with cane in hand, because of their age, would watch the children play. So when you think about the most vulnerable people in the city, it's the children and the elderly. And Zechariah sees the vision that the city ought to be a playground, not a battleground. Our other vision really is Jeremiah chapter 29 of seeking the peace and welfare of the city to which I've sent you into exile. Pray for the city, for in this shalom you'll find your shalom. There are over 1,200 passages about cities in the Scripture. Ray Bakke is sort of our theologian for the Leadership Foundation movement. But the three things we all do in common, whether it's Pretoria or Guatemala City or in Memphis or Pittsburgh, is, one, we build the capacity of urban leaders. That seed was planted me by John Perkins, as well as by the leadership foundations, and I can tell you a little bit more about that. Secondly, we create new initiatives. So in Memphis, we've created 40 different nonprofits and programs over the last 30 years. Some of them have become household words, like Christ Community Health Services or Streets Ministries or Memphis Athletic Ministries. And then the third thing, we bring people of goodwill and faith together to tackle issues in our city. What we found across all our foundations is those three functions are common to all our leadership foundations. I was with John Perkins in Pasadena. I was at Fuller Seminary doing Young Life Urban, developing a curriculum for urban youth ministry under Bill Pinnell. But John Perkins moved to Pasadena the year after I got there, and we became very good friends. I call him my mentor. He says, no, we're colleagues, but he's one of my mentors. When I was trying to figure out what to—I was ready to maybe branch out of Young Life more holistically. I mean, Young Life's a wonderful organization, youth evangelism, but how do you love the whole city well? And so John said to me—he and Pinnell both said— Larry, you got white privilege, you got all this education, you know how to raise money, you know nonprofit management. But there's all these grassroots leaders, urban leaders, black, white, Asian, Latino, who've got great ideas, but they crash and burn. They don't have the connection to the communities of resource. They don't have the nonprofit expertise in management. That's what you have. You need to build the capacity of grassroots leaders for the rest of your life. And that's what I've been trying to do, is taking an idea, whether it's an idea for youth ministry or an idea for housing, or affordable housing, but empowering a grassroots leader to build a sustainable organization. That's what gives me most joy. That's what gets me most excited, creating these new initiatives and then building the capacity of that urban leaders and their organization. So we've been doing that for 30 years.
1: A lot of the people that listen to this podcast are business leaders, business owners, and they have a kingdom mindset, and they want to make a difference. What are some recommendations for them if they're going to take that initiative to go build the capacity of urban leaders? How would you recommend they kind of vet that process and know where to really focus their energy and... They are a high-capacity leader, but instead of it just being one of them, how do they multiply themselves?
2: Yeah, I think with uh, the Leadership Foundation, we're kind of seen as intermediaries, right? We're the link between communities of resource, communities of need. And I would maintain there's probably some organization in every city like that so I would go try to find that organization to figure out how I can best use my business acumen, right, Mm -hmm. to impact the city. And as you know, there's some wonderful business leaders here in Memphis that have used their resources, not just their money, but their business, their skills, their talent, in order to really help nonprofits become better. I would think we have 30-some-odd leadership foundations in America. We're not in every major city In fact, our most productive leadership foundations are medium-sized cities that you can kind of get your hands around. Hard to get your hands around Chicago or New York City, but you can get your hands around Memphis or Tacoma, Washington, or even Atlanta, Georgia. So business leaders should look for the rising stars, but instead of just giving them money, is give them their talent. We need CPAs and attorneys, engineers, but the most effective city evangelist are real estate developers. They know what's happening because they do the research. Right. So real estate developers really are key to ministry in the city.
0: Larry, we ended the last podcast talking about us as Caucasians, as white people, need to just stop fighting the label of being privileged and decide how we're going to steward that privilege. You used the gifts and the talents and the experiences that God had given you, and that's how you made the biggest impact. You came along. It's the doctor that doesn't know how to run his office. He might be really good at surgery, but if he can't run his office, he's going to be out of practice. And the same analogy here with those ministries that don't think that your only way to help is to leave your profession and move down to the city where you might have a greater impact of using your skills and your education to come alongside those that are on the ground is that
2: accurate yeah when you think of stewarding as a professional as a business person i mean there's so many things you know we got to get beyond guilt we've got to get to uh, repentance well repentance means going a different direction so if i'm a business owner am i actively pursuing minority contractors right uh, am i paying a fair living wage for the uh, work that i get done from my employee am i treating my employees well How am I doing on the gender reality? Are they making as much money as a man working in the same position? These are all justice issues. These are all biblical issues. So as a business leader, as a professional, as a believer, we look at these things very differently because it impacts the way I do business. Am I acting justly? Right? And so, yeah, it's not about leaving your profession and and working in the inner city. It's coming alongside organizations. Are you willing to hire ex-offenders? Right, We have 6,000 to 7,000 ex-offenders coming back to Memphis every year out of the prisons. If you've been locked up for 24 months or 36 months for usually a minor drug charge, you've got a hard time getting a job. Will a Christian business person, an employer, be willing to hire ex-offenders? We work with this population, and I tell you, it's like freeing the captive, right? There's a biblical deal about freeing the captive. Well, if I'm a captive to my past because I committed a crime— How am I going to get to the future if I can't get a job? That's a justice issue. And so professionals can help solve that problem by just thinking Christianly about how we do our business. That's what I would call repentance. It's not about guilt, but how do you move forward?
1: You talk about not about guilt, repentance. One of the things that I've frequently heard people talking about, I've asked for forgiveness, even though maybe I wasn't alive or even though I wasn't actively engaged, I still felt the need and I feel bad about it and I've asked for forgiveness. And then I've heard African-Americans say, I've given you forgiveness. And then both sides in many ways are like, I'm kind of tired of asking for forgiveness and I'm tired of giving forgiveness. So how do we move beyond forgiveness into something that is really more building of a relationship, building of a friendship and moving into that category of freedom from the past, freedom from the oppression?
2: You've kind of tackled a lot of that. It's building relationships. I mean, but if I'm living in a suburban uh, enclave or if I work in a situation where there is no diversity, so I have to seek relationships. For me, relationships were key. It was on the basketball court, it was in the neighborhood, it was at Central High School, it was with my mentors, building relationships with people that didn't look like me, didn't look like, didn't think like me. That's how I grow, right? Mm -hmm. So you seek out relationships. Secondly, you begin to think, okay, what can I do in my particular sphere of influence to make changes in my life, what we call repentance, rather than just asking, because forgiveness, I'm sorry, repentance is I'm going to go a different direction what direction will I go? Do I look for a church that has diversity? Uh, For instance, if I'm a church elder, is my church doing business with minority contractors? Where are we spending our money? Are we involved in city ministry, or are we just building bigger facilities? These are questions we need to ask ourselves in our churches and our businesses. If I own a grocery store, am I willing to open a grocery store in the inner city where there's a food desert? Okay, I'm going to lose money because grocery stores only look at places where there's expendable income, right? Well, food stamps go anywhere. We don't have grocery stores. Binghampton finally opening one uh, on the corner there, Tillman and Broad. That's going to be a wonderful asset. Binghampton Development Corporation could not have done that without business partners. So how do you find organizations that have the capacity and partner with them to create business opportunities in the inner city? We've got huge transportation problems in Memphis. We need leadership from the business community to say, we can solve this. We put a man on the moon, for crying out loud. We can solve our transportation issues so people can get to jobs. What will it take for me to hire an ex-offender? These are things that they seem like simple steps, but they're very, very important. Whatever business you're in, I mean, I could name, I probably shouldn't because they might be embarrassed, but there are business leaders in this community that have taken these steps. And people don't even know they've taken the steps, but they're hiring ex-offenders. They are doing things that are countercultural to the bottom line. But as Christians, shouldn't we be countercultural, bottom line?
1: Absolutely. And I know a lot of the people that you're talking about, and this is not the reason why they do it, but maybe you can speak to this as well. All of a sudden, because they have blessed others, there is a sense that they are blessed in return. These people are people who they've taken their privilege. They've taken what God's given them. They've been a good steward of what God's given them, and they've chosen to go above and beyond and to bless. And I never hear one of those people talking about, How much they lost. I never hear those people talking about having insufficiency when it comes to financial means. I hear those people have abundance of life. So maybe just speak to the consistent pattern. And again, this is not doing this in order to receive something. But giving is never losing. There's this sense that in that world of giving, that the blessings return to you tenfold in a thousand different ways, that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Speaking to just what you've seen over a lifetime of how people who live this way really do experience the fullness of life.
2: Oh, yeah. With all the people I've worked with over the years, board members, business leaders, uh, professionals, inner city leaders, I've never seen God fail to give back many fold, not just financially, but in terms of joy, in terms of changed behaviors and changed outlooks. People are just different. Uh, My life has never been the same from that volunteering in South Memphis. That changed the trajectory of my life. I've never seen anyone that gets involved with the poor or stewarding their resources in a different way in business that doesn't come away and saying, Wow, what took me so long? There you go. God has blessed me in ways far greater than the bottom line. And it just so happens that sometimes the bottom line is is addressed too. Sure. We never promised that. But the bottom line in terms of spiritual health is far more important than the bottom line of where I finish in the black or the red.
1: There are people out there who have been blessed Speak a little bit about you created and were a part of forming the Hope Christian Community Foundation as to the purpose behind that, the type of money that you've raised and use that because both here locally, people can participate. And then there are organizations like that around the country as well. Uh, Speak to the significance of that.
2: So in 1997, we created the Hope Christian Community Foundation with some business leaders as a way to increase philanthropy, right? Helping people be more generous and the creative ways to do that, that the tax laws allow and so forth through donor advised funds and so forth. So we started out with really nothing. And I think I'm still on that board but I think we now are managing about $180 million of donor-advised funds. Many of the folks that were at the leadership conference that I attended, I saw a lot of the donors there that had donor-advised funds. So and most of that money, that, now we've given away, I think, $400 million, and most of that has been in Memphis, but it's been overseas. It's been to Christian ministries across the globe. Basically, we just created a vehicle for folks to give resources in a way that's most effective for their tax purposes and so forth. But to watch them give that money away and what it's done in Memphis and beyond has just been totally incredible. Rex Jones is now the president of the Hope Christian Community Foundation. It does a great job. I think we have close to 350 donors. Now they have donor-advised funds. We started just with a small group of business leaders who were philanthropists. It's a way to create essentially a private foundation for you and your family so that you can give generationally without having to set up a private foundation, which can be a real barrier. So it's been very successful. We're the largest Christian community foundation in the country. There are some others. Of course, the National Christian Foundation in Atlanta is the biggest one, but it's a national Mm -hmm. group, and we're very familiar with them, and we collaborate with them as well.
0: Larry? I wonder if we just look at things as a problem, we can keep them in the problem category and we'll defer to a program to try to fix them. And we don't take responsibility. But some great pastor that I know who's sitting right here next to me (laughs) talks about. But when it becomes personal, you don't defer it to a program because you care. I'm sure in your 40 years of this journey. There have to be countless stories where you saw a problem, not just transportation or groceries, but there was somebody that you met that had that problem. And it became personal that you wanted to find a solution, not because the city needed transportation, but because someone that you had met needed to get to their job. Are there any stories that you might relate oh, to us? Of Oh,
2: you know, yeah. The, the one story in particular, it really got me involved in after-school education mm-hmm was one of my young men in my Young Life Club, in orange man at Melrose High School, who got literally kicked out of school just about every day. He had acne, no medical care. His father was gone. His mother was a cook at a local hospital. She was gone every morning by 4.30. And so his breakfast was those white powdered donuts and a Coca-Cola. And he get the sugar blues at 10 o'clock. People knew how to push his buttons and get in a fight. But he lived right behind us in Orange Mound. He lived in an apartment complex, Section 8 apartment complex. They actually called Garbage Garden. My wife, Becky, really took to this kid, and so he started coming over for breakfast and having scrambled eggs and sausage and decent food. And then we got him to see a friend of mine who's a dermatologist. And he got him some medication. He started clearing up his acne, stopped getting kicked out of schools. He had a decent breakfast because, you know, in those days you got to free lunch but not breakfast. And then we found out he was brilliant in math, if he just stayed in school. He wanted to take calculus. Well, there was no calculus, so I had to transport him to a school that did have calculus. I began to see how education, health, and nutrition, this is holistic gospel. We weren't raised that way, but these things all come together. But that wasn't, quote, evangelical, getting him food, getting him medical care, and getting him to a calculus class. Well. He went on to college, majored in math, became an air traffic controller. And now he trains air traffic controllers in one of our major airports in the US. All because of some simple things that began to change the trajectory of his life. This is not brain surgery. This is just life on life. You see a need, you don't come at it paternalistically. You come at it this kid is an asset, he's got something he can contribute. He's just got some barriers, and that's true when we start talking about the city. I don't look at problems. I look at assets. Mm -hmm. Binghampton has some tremendous assets. The people are its greatest asset. Every community, we target them as communities of need or ghettos or inner city, but there are people there with skills and abilities. There are resources and assets there that we must build on, and so it's coming with a mentality, not a mentality of scarcity, but a mentality of abundance.
1: I hope every listener has running through their mind right now that faith without works is dead. And don't ever confuse the theology of that. It's not do the works in order to earn something. It's not do the works to grow in your faith. It's because you have faith and you have faith in the one who did the greatest work of all of dying on that cross and giving us life. Then the outflow of our faith, the outflow of our love is that we do the good work of serving others. I want to encourage every leader out there to not only listen to this podcast once, but I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it again and really – Identify where you can specifically do something personal. I mean, here's an action point that I've got to go in and I've got to make sure I apply something that I've learned and I've got to build the bridge to my brother or sister of another race or another nationality. And make sure that I'm proving that love works in the life of another person. A scripture that comes to my mind, I believe it's in Philippians chapter 1. I think Paul says that we've got to live for the progress and joy of others. So what does it mean for us? I mean, Larry, your entire life, what you've just laid out before us is you have lived for the progress and joy of the poor, of the less privileged, of people who have suffered the consequences of racism and been under forms of oppression. And we can't thank you enough for providing that model, that example for us. Karen, if you would also close us up today by encouraging people where they can pick up Larry's book, just make sure that every single one of us take the initiative to do more than just listen to these two podcasts, but actually apply some truths from these podcasts into our lives on a personal level.
0: Larry, as I was sitting here listening to your story about helping this young man, you have four grown daughters now. I don't know where this happened in the lifespan of their life. I think of every parent listening to this, how we can, by taking a step and building a relationship with someone who is different than us, someone who is poor, someone that has a different life experience, of how your daughter's lives must have been impacted, seeing a mom and dad care about people in their community. And that if nothing else, that first step of reaching out and building a relationship will change your heart. We'll change it from a problem to a person. And we as believers will be involved. And so absolutely recovering from racism. It's available on Amazon and all book distributors. Please get Dr. Lloyd's book. And one more time, anybody that wants more information, what's the best website or location for them to reach you?
2: MemphisLeadershipFoundation.org. My email's on there, so that's a good way to get me.
0: Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the difference that you're making in this city and around the world world. Also, our annual conference is coming up November 3rd. We have a fantastic lineup of speakers, Dr. Tim Irwin, Shannon Brown, Dr. Bernice King, and John O'Leary will round out our event. So go to leadershipworksconference.org, leadershipworksconference.org. You can also go to chrisconley.net or karenconley.com. Thanks again and have a fantastic day.